A quick note before we begin. This episode features an interview with Rembert Brown, host of Gaining Ground, The New Georgia, that was recorded early on the morning of January 6th, before any of the events in D.C. occurred, and while we were still overjoyed about John Ossoff and Reverend Warnock's victories in the Senate runoff. The introduction was recorded the next day, January 7th. From Atlanta, I'm Holly Anderson. And right across the border in Chattanooga, Tennessee, I'm Marcus Ellsworth. This episode is coming to you a little bit late, you might notice. Uh, It should come as a surprise to absolutely no one that the events of the past couple days overtook us a little bit. We have a great conversation coming up with our buddy Rembert Brown, uh, but yesterday just didn't feel like the right time to drop that. Uh, Members of our crew are in D.C. We, uh, members of our team, have family uh, in D.C. and elsewhere, and we wanted to give everyone the space to be present in their own lives uh, and in the lives of their loved ones for a day. So we are back with you today. We hope you are as safe and well as can reasonably be expected. And we're going to bring you something a little bit lighter, talking to your friend, my friend, former colleague, Rembert Brown. But first, we're going to also offer up uh, some ways that you can get involved. We know that everything that transpired yesterday and things that are yet to come have a lot of people on edge and feeling helpless. And that is actually far from the truth. Of course, you can always contact your legislators, but there are other ways you can get involved. One is to go to electiondefenders.org. See, there you can sign up for newsletters from the election defenders. They have been working in Georgia and various other states around the country to accomplish the simple mission of defending democracy, which is more important now than it has ever been. Another way you can get involved is to go to mobilize.us slash the front line to check out events from the front line, which is a network of organizations working across the country on a number of fronts. There you can find access to online trainings if you're trying to strengthen your organization's uh, uh, capacity. You can also find ways to get involved in phone banking, text banking, and a number of other ways that you can make a difference from wherever you are in the country. But Marcus, I thought the election was over. Why are we phone banking and text banking? Well, there are more, there's more work to be done, frankly. There's, uh, there's more runoff elections coming up in other states. There are threats to democracy that are happening apparently every day now. And people have to remain vigilant. And so these text parties are also to make sure people know what's going on and what they can do locally and nationally. And today we're going to bring you something that's a little bit different from our previous episodes. Rembert Brown is a lifelong Atlanta resident, a longtime friend of mine, a former colleague at Grantland, which some of you may remember was a website of some type. Rembert is also a childhood friend of a kid named John Ossoff, who it turns out is a United States senator now. That's interesting. That's interesting. Somebody should... Uh, we should we should follow up on that with our research department after the show. Kind of wild. Rembert is also working on a podcast of his own that is on kind of a parallel track with ours. But we grabbed some time with him yesterday morning. Uh, that would be Wednesday morning, the day after the election, just to talk about what changes he has seen in Atlanta from his childhood to now, and what it was like growing up here with a family of very politically engaged people, particularly politically engaged women, what it's like to watch John Ossoff come into his own and just kind of shooting the shit. We just wanted a moment to take a breath. And then the the rest of the day was taken up by really not breathing at all at some points. Anyway, we hope you enjoy. We had a good time with Rem. 
If you'd like to hear more from Rembert and his co-host, Jewel Wicker, you can find their podcast, Gaining Ground, The New Georgia, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. They give a great historical context for organizing in Georgia and how the political landscape in the state has changed over the years, combined with their own personal experiences and insight from various organizers, the candidates, and leaders throughout the area. Rembert and Jewel both have years of lived experience in Atlanta itself, so if it's not a city that you're familiar with, if it's not a part of the state that you're familiar with, this is a great place to jump into and learn a little bit from more of a journalistic perspective than the activist perspective that our show takes. And without further ado, here is Rembert Brown in conversation with me and Marcus uh, the morning after the election. We're very sleepy. Bear with us. There cannot be any mistake that the activism of the African-American voter in Georgia is the salve that will hopefully make a change. CNN will now project that Democrat Raphael Warnock is elected to the U.S. Senate. NBC News now projecting that John Ossoff, the Democrat, will win the Senate runoff in the state of Georgia. Much of America has to give credit where credit is due this time. Welcome to Ground Game, Georgia. Hey, y'all, we are hungover and a little out of our minds. It's a beautiful blue day here in the state mm. of Georgia. We're Southern and a little, uh, a little full of ourselves right now, so yeah. Hey, Marcus. Hey Holly, how you doing? I'm all right. I'm yeah. I'm I'm sleep deprived, but I'm good. I'm here, and mm. we and we have we have a great guest with us today, joining us in this celebration. I'm talking about noted Atlantan, uh, perhaps the most Atlanta person I have ever known. Uh, one Rembert Brown. Rembert, how are you doing? I am doing. I feel weird. I'm still waiting for this to go bad. Even though, like, this is, I was, I was, last night, every time I got <clears throat> stressed, I would get a call from a friend, stressed, and we just start talking. And one of my calls was with a friend that I grew up with, Bradley, who is one of my, um, he's like part of my soul. I love him so much. And I was just like, I can't, like, why is all of my residual sports fear seep into the way I approach any type of competition. You more than anybody else perhaps understand the sensation I felt walking into the Falcons stadium to vote. Oh my goodness, there's no... <laughs> I'm just looking around waiting for like a grand piano. I'm waiting for some kind of like Looney Tunes situation to happen, like an anvil to fall on me from a great height or a grand piano to be dropped off a concourse. Yeah, um, but then I think the big difference is like we actually did the work, like the organizers and the people, like we didn't stumble into this and like hope for the best. Folks, it is 9.45 on Wednesday morning and we're shambling. <laughs> what impressed me the most like leading up to yesterday was seeing the numbers of like voter engagement on a runoff election. Cause I mean, this isn't the first time that a runoff election has been in the national spotlight, but I think it's the first time we've seen this surge in engagement. And I saw, I saw a lot of people last night say something to the effect of you know this is what happens when you invest in the south when you don't write it off as well you know everybody there is either a redneck or people who deserve to be ruled under the thumb of a redneck this is also what happens when you get out of those people's way the act of the act of giving money to one of these organizations is ultimately an act of trust right when you're donating to a campaign or a grassroots advocacy group you're saying you know you know what to do with this money 
and I trust you. I trust that you know what you need. That's a very different thing from saying, okay, we trust you guys to run this entire campaign. But fundamentally, that's what we're doing, right? When you support these orgs, we're saying we trust that you know better than our Connecticut-ass consultants what mm -hmm. is or is not going to play in Georgia. You know, having lived in New York for 10 years, there was this, like, as soon as it was runoff time, there was, like, very real... And, it, you know, it came from a good place, as many things do, but it was, like, there was a lot of, we need to go down to Georgia. You know, there was some very real, like, okay, it's time for it's time for us to swoop in and save America energy mm -hmm. that I think um, I'm really glad I feel like got nipped in the bud early in the runoff. I do think that something we saw here is, like, the people on the ground can handle their own ground, mm -hmm. you know? And do it better. The stakes would often be talked about as, you know, this is about the stakes of the whole country. You know, folks would often forget, like, you know, it's also about what senators do to the people that live in their own state, like the stuff that happens every day in Georgia. But I do think that there's so many things that hope hopefully get replicated that hopefully can get taken lots of other places. But I hope one of those things is folks increasingly trusting the people who put in the work and not chalking things up to, oh, this was like, you know, basically like, look at these country folk. <laughs> Nothing like, that happened was accidental. Like this was yeah, all it, very it, purposeful stuff. And I think that that message of like, let, the message of letting people who are in these communities already take the lead and do the work is important. Cause I've been a part of a, of a grassroots campaign where we had, and I'm going to go ahead and say it, the human rights campaign parachuted into Chattanooga when we were working on a non-discrimination ordinance for LGBT uh, city employees. And me and my fellow community organizers, we were like, cool, you're here. All we need is your money. We just need you to pay for billboards and advertisements and radio spots and TV spots. They turned around and looked at us and said, well, won't that cause a backlash against the community? We're like, we live in Tennessee. The backlash is always here. We're not afraid of it because we live with it. They stood in our way and eventually we just walked away from them. And so to help get the word out, we staged a 600 person protest that we organized in four days that went through middle downtown Chattanooga, raising awareness of the needs of our city employees. Hey Marcus, and how'd that then, ordinance go? Uh, when the HRC was helping us, it failed. When we did it on our own, it passed. And it's not talked about enough, is that when you do just support the folks who've been living in these communities and who know them, you can win and you can win pretty big. If you're listening to so-called experts who live in coastal cities or in another state and they come in, they have the expertise of where they've been working. They don't have the expertise of every community in the country. And we've got to normalize that trust. Yeah, we do. And it's like, and, and don't just think that because you're from a bigger city that it is more progressive that you know better because likely you don't. Um, you haven't had to fight these same battles that people are still fighting down here. And it is so early, and but one big example that I think we can rest pretty solidly on right now is the continued attacks on Warnock's faith. Mm. As though that was going to get anywhere in this state. Yeah, Leffler came after Jesus. <laughs> like, come on, You're, are you not unpopular enough? She took the one, maybe the one person left who's supposed to love her, and she's like, that guy? <sighs> The combination of, you know, where Warnock is a pastor, plus the fact that 
he is so clearly not like a prosperity gospel, mm-hmm. you know, mega church preacher. Like he's not Creflo out here, and you know, like well, he's like you know he he literally is the pastor at Ebenezer. I think there's a lot of people over across the country who probably don't bother to make that distinction mm-hmm. between somebody like him and somebody like Creflo because they only see a pastor. They, they see a Southern uh, pastor and they see a black pastor too. Not not realizing he's pro-choice, pro-immigrant, mm-hmm. pro a uh, b- whole bunch of things. Um, and that that's rooted in his faith. It's just one of those reminders. Like my, <clears throat> my uncle is a pastor of a church in Atlanta. And, you know, when I see when I see like wh- all the things that his his job entails, like you re- you're reminded and just like what the black church is. It's like he people were like Warnock's never you know he's never run for anything before. It's like that's true, but part of his life as a pastor is like community leader mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know an administrative bullshit. <laughs> The sheer volume of administrative bullshit that you have to deal with. If you've ever sat in a church board meeting, then you know, pastors work. (laughs) A church, like a church that big? Yeah. Like a church that has history and is connected to the King family and all, like, Mm -hmm. you are a political figure. You know, you've been a political figure. You've been someone that's had to deal with politics before. And the fact that he clearly has navigated this in a in a masterful way it's like you know he probably was like politics like real i can do this i I could be a senator if i can deal with church folk i can deal with anybody you know while juggling with yes if he can can deal with the church elders on a regular basis the senate ain't nothing he's fine he's fine he's like and i get a i get a whole staff coming back to your original question you know after after November, there was just like a lot of pride in looking at the the USA map and seeing like this sea of red, and then there's just like one little blue ass state. And I'm like, oh my god, that's like my state. That's crazy. That's so impressive and exciting. And to then to see this happen again, um, I'm just like, this is all the things that I've always felt about being from Atlanta, being from Georgia, being having Atlanta be like a place that I've long thought was like way ahead of its, like its time in terms of like mentally where it was in terms of coalition building and, and, and folks just like, you know, from a very basic level, part of my life in Atlanta has always been like lots of different folks liking to hang out with each other and wondering if that could ever um, materialize into something when it comes to, you know, politics and all this other stuff. And I'm like, it, it, it actually happened. We should, we should actually back up. Cause I would like to talk about how we approach Atlanta differently because I am a Tennessee native and went to a big state school and for kids all over the South, Atlanta is where you go when you are grown. Atlanta is where, where you go to make it. All of the big state schools in the surrounding states, they feed into Atlanta because this is where you go after you graduate. This is where you go to make a life. And that's that's a whole other set of issues that we will deal with another day. But uh, what I'm getting at is that I'm a transplant, as are many of my friends uh, from college and from schools in other states. 
But Rem, you are of Atlanta. How is this different right now from what you remember growing up here? There was always like a, I'm from Atlanta, not Georgia type energy <laughs> because the it, it really felt like the two were feuding. Um, and I do think that for a long time, the suburbs of Atlanta were thought of as Georgia. I think that's like the big thing that's shifted growing up there was like the energy was very itp otp inside the perimeter outside the perimeter and otp basically was especially north i feel like it was always considered especially part of georgia you know otp on the south side when you start you know you start talking about like riverdale and john you know like there's like certain parts of that still were super black so it felt like it was lumped into Uh, the city of Atlanta. But, you know, when I just thinking about the migration patterns that have been part of my life and my family's life, like going from growing up in the city to um, like, like very central Southwest Atlanta, then moving to like Old National, which was super black um, and most notably was where Holyfield lived. <laughs> you know, that was like the thing, like, oh, you live near, oh, you, oh, you, like, oh, you live near Holyfield. Like, okay, like that's, that was a part of my life. So much of the way I think about Atlanta and the way we should think about Atlanta is like so many things go back to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. You know, the Olympics happened and it completely altered the, geography of where people lived um you know seeing having friends that live in summer hill like down by the stadium i'm like these were projects you know um and the reason they were they are they are no longer projects is because they got all torn down so we could look shiny for these olympics you know and but fast forwarding to you know 2008 my mom moves to Jonesboro, which is a south side suburb, which, you know, in some ways has like this very real, like super southern white history. Because if you go into downtown Jonesboro, there's like Scarlett O'Hara murals. It's like the road to Tara type stuff. But then over time, Jonesboro and Clayton County which is a place the world knows now um, has had this crazy transformation where my mom was telling me when she, when she moved there and then 08 happened and she would put out Obama signs, she put out Obama signs twice and each time they got stolen the next day. So like, that was, that was like some Jonesboro Clayton County energy that was happening in 2008. Now she still lives in that house. When I drive around, the whole neighborhood, the same neighborhood, like dump Trump signs and like all this other stuff. And I'm like, that's something tangible that I remember. Like, I, I, I remember all of this happening and it wasn't so much time. That's a 12 year span. And so when you look at these counties, it really feels like Metro Atlanta is like a a more unified front in a way that was definitely not part of my upbringing. It really felt like the actual city center was 
fighting a solo fight <clears throat> against the rest of the state. But I do think, you know, it's important to note these other little clusters that exist in Georgia, you know, like there are black people that live in Georgia that do not live in Atlanta. Like, mm-hmm. hello, surprise. Also, there's black people that don't live in cities that live in Georgia. There are people that live in Atlanta that are not black or white. Like there, these are things that are real, you know, and these are things that I have, you know, at times had to confront my own biases. It was 2018. I was living at home. It was the first time I'd lived at home in a really long time and like knew about all of the changing demographics in Atlanta, but still was living mentally in a black, white Atlanta. It was like a convenient mindset for me. I was like, it's us and it's them. And sometimes we're together. And I started just like finally, you know, not just talking about Buford Highway, um, but actually spending time there, but also understanding that the 100% of the Asian American community does not live on Buford Highway. There's so many things where you just like hear stuff and you get locked into narratives and then you just kind of accept it and you don't engage with it. And so, you know, really, really being able to like understand the data of the city and the state that you are from and then actually engaging with it and, and, and interacting with it and then seeing that stuff play out in something like the political process it's all really exciting it proves that georgia is a dynamic state and it's like a really politically smart place to live and i Mm -hmm. I like that narrative because that's not something that i grew up around i grew up hearing like talking to my mom during this election cycle was also really great can you tell can you tell people a little bit about your mom's background because i feel like most of them probably won't know my, I mean, I'm. My mom went to high school in Atlanta. She's a. She taught all over the AUC, the uh, Atlanta University Center, and also Atlanta Metropolitan College. Um, and yeah, I mean, she, she is a thousand times more Atlanta than I am. You know, like she is. She and her siblings. Uh, you know, my grandfather worked at the post office in Atlanta. You know, like it's 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 real. Like when I drive around, I'm just like pointing at stuff, and I feel like it's just memories of either mine or my family's. Uh, but I remember when I landed when I landed in Atlanta last. Like as soon as I got like I got service, I had a call from my aunt. <clears throat> Um, who is also a professor, was a professor at Clark, but also a member of Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated uh, sorority. And she was basically like, um, tell Ossoff, like, he needs to come talk to us. And I was like, that energy is the best. And, (laughs) you know, there's a lot on Twitter right now. There's a lot of like, thank you, black women. Thank you, black women for being the best. And I'm like, yeah, but like, that's for real. You know, like the, the mobilizing and the, the sense of urgency that, uh, black women, Southern black women, black women in Georgia, black women in Atlanta have when it comes to politics and not being satisfied with a system that tends to uh, treat them lesser than 
it's there's like when it comes to groups that are like i'm <clears throat> we cannot leave this up to chance let's let's talk for a minute about your your background with Asaf because I, I feel like you've got a unique perspective here to offer uh, to offer we started going to school together in seventh grade and my high school graduating classes of there's about 90 of us and i'd say 35 of us keep up and we we always stayed close in large part because of a shared love of politics but also our lives crisscrossed in dc a lot uh, he went to college there. So I always went to D.C. because I fashioned myself as the one who was going to run for mayor. I was going to move back home and run for mayor. There'd be so many good scandals off that. Yeah, I was like, oh, I was like, if Bill, if Bill and Shirley can do it, I can do it. Um, and but as my as my life turned to writing, uh, you know, I remember I remember when he was working for John Lewis, I remember when he started working for Congressman Hank Johnson and was like, seemed to be like a really trusted, it was like, Hank really listens to Ossoff. Like, that's cool. Like my friend who wears a suit all the time, he's like really getting to like go to meetings and like really, really seems to be in the ear of a congressman. That was always very cool to me. And like my mother and his mother are friends. So like they text a lot, you know, the way moms text like Facebook memes and stuff. <laughs> and so he's like always kind of been like pretty like like within arm's reach um, when it comes to just even just like, hey, you want to read this thing? Like I'm thinking about this thing. Like that's kind of been the way we've the way we've talked since we've been in high school and college. I'm excited for him because I do think that he figured out campaigning, but he's going to be like 50 times better of a senator than a campaigner. The thing that I've always wanted to come true is like, I really just think this dude wants to get to work. Thank goodness he can actually go be a senator, this like brilliant person that I know to be like such a strong political mind and also someone who's like fundamentally good, which is something we need. I, I'm, I'm excited for him to actually go get to um, do the work instead of having to basically spend <clears throat> the better part of the last four years proving to people that he deserves a chance to do the work. So um, but yeah, it's the homie. I'm super excited. I'm just like, I'm 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 giddy. I'm I'm super excited. Shout out to the class of 2005. I can't believe we have a senator that was born in 1987. I know you have to get to work. Can you tell us real real quick about your show and the approach that you guys have taken? Because I I want people to know that we're we're on two like parallel but very different paths here, and I want to hear a little bit about your approach. Yeah. So, um, ours um, from the jump was a five episode uh build up to um build up to honestly to right now you know take something as large as georgia went blue how did this happen and then part two uh georgia's trying to go bluer and you know for us it was super important to um you know build a kind of storytelling framework that was informative and to some degree entertaining 
but also just like mainly letting the people who have been doing this work speak, which is something that's consistent between the two of our mm-hmm. podcasts is like not having it. Like I was very purposeful in being like, I do not want this to be the Rembrandt show. I want to like, if you, if you want me to speak, I will get over my fears of hearing my own voice. And so like, it was important to, yes, talk about the protests and um, talk about what was happening um, in Atlanta, but also talk to the mayor of Savannah and talk to the mayor of Albany and talk about how all of these things really are connected, how, you know, the ties between COVID and voter suppression and, you know, the fact that people are in the streets, like all of this stuff, you take out one of these things and the election is completely different in Georgia. You know, the fact that, you know, these titans of politics in Georgia nationally, C.T. Vivian, Joseph Lowry, John Lewis, like you can't talk about this this runoff election without talking about giving some context about John Lewis. Like you have one guy who is the pastor of his church and the other guy interned for him. Like, that's mm-hmm. crazy that like these are the two people who are the senators in the year that he dies. Like, that's like, it's like his legacy lives through these two people. Like, that's, that's incredible. It really makes it clear how, um, how it really took everyone doing their own little thing or big thing to like push Georgia over the edge uh there's just so many you know you have really like world-changing stories like like Inse Ufat who started New Georgia Project like having this chance meeting with Stacy a couple years ago and thinking Stacy was crazy because <laughs> of her plans for Georgia and then something about that making her be like I'm going to drive from where I currently live in Canada back home to Atlanta and like try to do my part. And like, this was such a massive effort of folks being like, I'm going to try to do my part um, to do something that like, let it be known, like everything that just happened, all three things was a a giant upset. These were all upsets. None of these things are like supposed to happen. And so to watch these very leap of faith efforts actually be rewarded to actually feel like to some degree like the people that put in the work actually got rewarded but there's i I, there's real there's real hope you know um for us as a people and i'm just you know i can't I can't ever if I if I feel like if I do ever lose my sense of optimism I'm like I'm done you know like I feel like sometimes that optimism is completely mental gymnastics and steeped in delusion um just to keep going but today feels like one of those rare days where the optimism is is very real I want to give a special shout out to my co-host of our podcast, Jewel Wicker. Yeah, I was not familiar with her work before before this, but she's great. She's great. Yeah. Black ass, 
Atlanta ass woman right there. She is great, and I'm glad that she uh, wanted to do this podcast with me because, as y'all know, like so much of this is like the the stuff that you did, but it's like the the choices you decided not to make that would have like made this like really bad. It's like no, like I'm really glad we didn't start this podcast with like ti saying atlanta's wakanda i'm really glad we didn't do that you know <laughs> it was on the table but we didn't do it so it was on a wall somewhere <laughs> it, somebody's vision board i think we should maybe do this another way thank you to rembert brown for donating his time and the available brain bandwidth uh, to help us pick things apart on the morning after a very very long election night and again, if you would like to hear more from him and from Jewel Wicker uh, about the race, about the history of politics in Atlanta and in Georgia, uh, check out Gaining Ground, the new Georgia, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also keep up with us online at groundgamepod.com. Our website has subscription links to all the episodes. It's got transcripts of every episode and also resource links to all the organizations that we mentioned during all of our shows. You can follow us on Twitter at GroundGamePod and on Instagram at GroundGamePod. Take care of yourselves and be good to each other out there. And congratulations to all the folks who uh, did a lot of hard work. You did good. Not too bad for a bunch of a, a bunch of backwater red staters, huh? A bunch of folks from the holler. Yeah. Our show is produced, written, and hosted by Holly Anderson and Marcus Ellsworth with help from the Ground Game Georgia Volunteer Jamboree, including Ashley Hobbs, Brian Gutierrez-Shelton, and me, Ben Tiernan. Editing by Douglas Reyes-Ceron and Arlil Rodriguez. Our theme is by the legendary Jonathan Sanford. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. Designed by Jasmine Johnson, Nicole Mackey runs our social. Ground Game Georgia is a production of Unir. I'll drop coffee in my keyboard. Hang on, hang on. (laughs) Keep talking. I literally just dropped it into my keyboard. This has never happened before. The point you made was so good. I know. Coffee exploded. Oh, man. I couldn't take it. I do think that... I just dropped... I straight up just dropped the mug out of my hand. All right. You're doing great. You're doing great. Keep talking. Y'all keep going.